the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sent off on your entire. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Thank you. 
suspect that almost all of you listening to the broadcast as you listen to these sweet words all to Jesus I surrender in your mind you're saying yes all to Jesus I surrender the problem comes when there's a difference between our desire to surrender all to Jesus and our will to surrender all to Jesus The desire is not the action. The action is required. So, have you surrendered those favorite television programs to Jesus yet? Have you surrendered that pornography to Jesus yet? Have you surrendered that alcohol? Have you surrendered the lying, the cheating, the stealing, Have you surrendered the gossiping and the anger and the bitterness? We could go on and on. We need to do some self-examination and see if there's a difference between what we desire and what we actually will to do. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. With me is my wife, Alexandra. We want to talk about revival. Revival now is what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. Not to call for, but to do with our will. An inner church, inner denominational movement to revive the churches. We're not promoting one church over another. We're saying to all of God's people, it's time to rise to a new level of holiness and obedience to God. And then it's time to fulfill the Great Commission to be effective witnesses to the lost and their families, we must not only have a desire for Jesus, but the deep things of our heart, we have to will to give to him. So we're going to call you now to a revival meeting. It's on December 4th, 2017 at 7.30 p.m., at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me give you the address. It's 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. We'll meet in the main sanctuary. You're welcome to bring your children. You're welcome to bring non-Christian friends. But especially, bring yourself. We're going to have wonderful praise and worship music, a time of lifting up our hearts to Jesus. We're going to have some testimonies of of what God is doing, what he's calling for. And we're going to have very straight, honest preaching of the word. None of this will be of any value to you, however, 
if you're unwilling to do the work of searching your heart and preparing for that revival meeting. Revival doesn't drop out of the sky from God. It's something that we must take the first move on and prepare our hearts to receive what God wants to give us. We've been praying. We've been searching after Jesus. We're now stepping out by faith to call Washington to revival. Hosea 10, verse 12 says, Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. See, the Jews were a a nation of farmers, and it's a common thing in the scripture to use illustrations from their occupations. Remember, Jesus did this when he talked about the sower who went out to sow. Well, the prophet Hosea addresses them as a nation of backsliders and reproves them for their idolatry, and he threatens them with the judgments of God. It's no different now. We are a nation of backsliders. We are a nation of idolaters. And the judgments of God are coming upon our nation. They're already being poured out. So what does it mean to break up the fallow ground that Hosea is speaking about? What's the sense of this text? How do we do it? Well, to break up the fallow ground is to break up your hearts to prepare your minds to bring forth fruit unto God. The mind of man is often compared in the Bible to the ground, and so the word of God is the seed that is sown in it. Now, fallow ground is ground which has once been tilled, it's once borne crops, but it now lies waste and needs to be broken up and mellowed. Now, Fallow ground loves weeds. It especially loves thorns and thistles. I know, may I be very blunt and honest with you, many of you have thorns and thistles growing in the ground of your heart. What do I mean? I'll be very specific. You have the love of the professional sports. That's a thorn growing in your soul. You love the movies. You love the violent video games. Some of you are caught in pornography. You're caught in all manner of sin. Secret sin that nobody knows about, but God knows and you know, and your conscience knows. Your conscience is recording what you're doing. So if the fallow ground, our hearts are to be broken up so that it can receive the word of God. It means to bring the mind into such a place that it's fitted to receive the word of God. You see, our hearts get matted down and hard and dry, and no fruit is produced for God. It has to be broken up. It has to be mellowed. It has to be sweetened. It has to be fitted to receive the word of God. It's this softening of the heart so as to make it feel the truth which the prophet calls breaking up your fallow ground. Now, I want to go back just a minute. This will be hard for some of you. 
It is preparing the heart to feel, not to think, to feel the heart of God. It's not intellectual theology. It's not debate. It's being moved in our spirits, in our feelings. So, if you want to break up the fallow ground of your heart and make your mind feel on the subject of the Christian walk with Jesus, you have to go to work just as you would to gain feelings on any other subject. Instead of keeping your thoughts on everything else and then imagine that by going to a few meetings you'll get your feelings enlisted, it's not going to work. You can come to a revival meeting and leave with your heart hard because you didn't prepare to come. I mean, it's easy to make our minds feel on any subject we want. It's a matter of whether or not we focus our attention on what is necessary. It means that we're going to have to pay attention to the things of Jesus and look carefully at our hearts to examine and note the state of your mind. Where are you? Are you indifferent to the things of God? Are you indifferent to the reading of the scripture? Are you indifferent to those hours of prayer that you know God is calling you to? I know many of you don't even think about this. You don't pay any attention to the condition of your own heart. You never know whether you're doing well in the Christian faith or not, whether you're gaining ground or going backwards, whether you're fruitful or laying waste. Now, you have to draw your attention away from everything else. You have to turn the TV off, to turn the radio off. Don't have it running in your car all day. You have to turn aside from the video games. Turn aside from foolish conversation. You have to begin to focus on where am I with Jesus? You make it your business to know the condition of your heart. Are you in fact winning people to Jesus or have you made excuses for why you don't have the personality to win people to Jesus. Remember Chuck Colson. He was caught in the Watergate scam with Richard Nixon and went to prison. But before going, he became a very serious Christian. He began to speak with a very bright intellectual businessman about Jesus he was a stranger. He simply began to open a conversation with him about Jesus, thinking he would be just shut down. But this man was very interested and pursued questions with Chuck Colson. That man was the owner and founder of Walgreen Drugstore. He's the one who financed the building of Prison Fellowship. There's no person who does not have the personality to witness for Jesus except the person who is so into themselves and so fallow in the ground of their heart that they have no feeling and no compassion and no excitement. We talk about what we're excited about. 
I've been with groups of Christian men and we'll have a meal together. And never once during that meal will any man speak about Jesus. They're all Christians. They'll speak about the baseball, the football. They'll talk about fishing. They'll talk about everything but Jesus. Breaks my heart. This is the fallow ground. We've got to examine thoroughly the state of your heart and see where you're at. Whether you're walking with God every day, whether you're walking with the devil, whether you're serving God or serving the devil the most, whether you're under the dominion of the Prince of Darkness or of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as you're in the midst of church. So literally, if you're going to break up the fallow ground of your heart, you're going to have to set yourself at work to consider your sins. You're going to have to inconvenience your time. Inconvenience your time to begin to search out the true condition of your heart. By this, I do not mean that you must stop and look directly within to see what is the present state of your feelings. That's the way to put a stop to what's happening. This is not how you do it. Self-examination consists in looking at your life, in considering your actions, looking carefully and calling up the past, learning its true character. Look back over your past history. Take up your individual sins one by one and look at them. I don't mean that you should just cast a glance at your past life and see that it's been full of sin and disobedience and then go to God and make a sort of a general confession and ask for pardon. That is not the way. You must take them up one by one. It will be a good thing to take a pen and paper as you go over them and write them down as they occur to you. Go over them as carefully as a merchant goes over his books and as often as a sin comes before your memory, add it to the list. General confession of sin will not succeed. It will only lull you to sleep. Your sins were committed one by one. And as far as you can, you have to go back and review them one by one and repent of them one by one. Now today we want to do a bit of a self-examination to carefully ask Jesus to reveal the true condition of our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit begin to shine his light on you. So Alexandra, you're going to walk us through some areas of sin Let's listen. Yes, so if you haven't already, go ahead and get a pen and some paper. And I want you to write down, as I go through these, every sin that you know you've committed. So the first one is ingratitude. As we come up to Thanksgiving, this is a good time to think about this. So under ingratitude, you want to write down every instance you can remember when you received favor from God, when you received something from God, but you've never been thankful. How many cases can you remember? Perhaps there was a wonderful turn of events that saved you from ruin. You were about to lose your house, you're about to lose your job, and then God just stepped in and saved it. Perhaps there was incredible mercy of God exercised in your conversion, and you've never been thankful. You haven't even been half thankful enough. 
the number of mercies that you've received since you've been a Christian. How long the catalog of instances where your ingratitude is so black that you're forced to hide your face in confusion. Now go on your knees and confess them one by one to God and ask forgiveness. The very act of confession will bring up other instances of sin to your memory. So then write down those. And as you go over this three or four times, you'll find there were an astonishing number of mercies of God that you've never been thankful for. So then the next one we want to look at, neglect of the Bible. Put down the cases when for days or even perhaps weeks or months, you haven't had any pleasure in God's word. Perhaps you didn't read it at all, or if you did read it, it was in a way that was more displeasing to God than if you hadn't read it at all. What do I mean by that? Perhaps you read over an entire chapter in such a way that five minutes later you couldn't remember what you read. You can't remember from morning until night what you were reading, so you use a bookmark and you pick up and you don't actually remember how what you're reading at night was connected to what you were reading that morning. What that shows is that you're not really laying to heart what you're reading in the Bible and you're not thinking about it, you're not reflecting on it throughout the day. If you were reading a novel, for example, and that was really interesting to you, you would remember that the next time you went to pick it up. And this is especially serious because the Word of God, the Bible, that's, that's the rule of your Christian duty. So you're supposed to learn how to be a Christian based on the Bible. So if you pay so little attention that you don't even remember what you read, how can you have any success in the Christian life? You're probably living at random. And you feel that your that your faith is a miserable failure. Next is unbelief. There are instances when you have virtually charged God with lying because of unbelief. So you read something in the Bible, you read an express promise, you read a declaration. For example, God promised to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Well, do you believe this? Did you expect God to answer? Or have you said in your heart, when you prayed for the Holy Spirit, well, I don't really believe that I'll receive the Holy Spirit. So if you haven't believed or expected that you'll receive what God has promised, you're actually charging God with lying. Neglect of prayer. Perhaps you have completely neglected private prayer, family prayer, praying with your wife or husband, praying with your children. If you have parents who live with you, not praying with your parents, you haven't gone to prayer meetings at your church, or when you have prayed, you have done it in a way that has offended God. What do I mean by that? Again, where you pray in such a way that you don't expect to receive what you're praying for, or you don't even remember it, um, you just say your prayers and then move on with your life. Perhaps you have let little excuses prevent you from going to church, either to Sunday or to the prayer meetings or to Bible studies. Now, how do you expect to safely arrive in heaven if you neglect going to church meetings? You perhaps lack love for the souls of your fellow men and women. 
So think about it for a minute. Look around at your friends, your relatives, your co-workers, and have you really had any compassion for them? Have you stood by and seen them going right to hell and it seems like you didn't even care if they did? How many days have there been in which you did not make their condition the subject of a single fervent prayer or even an ardent desire for their salvation? Do you have a lack of concern for world missions? You might not have even cared enough about the lost in other parts of the world to do a Google search on missions organizations. Now, if you say that you care about the salvation of the world, that should be displayed in your actions. So look at your actions and see how much you really care about the salvation of the lost in other parts of the world. So set down honestly the real amount of your feelings for them and your desire for their salvation. You can measure it by the self-denial that you practice in giving your time and your money to send them the gospel. Do you deny yourself things like tobacco, alcohol, or even coffee or tea to send them the gospel? Have you pulled back your style of living? Are you willing to inconvenience yourself so that these people can be saved? Are you praying for them in private? Are you laying aside treasure in heaven? In other words, are you exercising this self-denial so that when you do pray, God will answer you? If you are not doing these things, if your soul isn't agonized for these people who've never even heard the gospel one time, who haven't had a single chance, who are perhaps sacrificing their children to foreign gods, why are you pretending to be a Christian? Your profession is an insult to Jesus. Coming back to family duties, have you lived before your family in a way that you're a good example of what it means to be a Christian? Have you prayed in a way that's a good example? Do you make direct efforts to reach them for Jesus? Or do you say, well, I'll just pray, but I will never actually talk to them? Have you hurried over your own private Christian duties? So we talked about a neglect of prayer or a neglect of the Bible. So if you are doing those things, are you just hurrying over it on the way to something else in your life? Or have you honestly made up your accounts with God? Do you spend time at the end of every day reviewing what happened that day and seeing if there's anywhere that you miss Jesus? If there's anywhere that you offended someone and you need to make it right. Now this one is pretty serious. As a Christian, one of our responsibilities is to watch over our brothers and sisters. So if you see a brother or sister in your church or even outside of your church going into sin or getting cold in religion, do you talk to them about it? Go over the list of those you have seen sliding back like this and where you didn't say anything to them. Have you seen them growing cold and not spoken to them about it? Have you seen them beginning to neglect duty? Maybe they've stopped coming to prayer meetings. Maybe they've 
started to only come sometimes on Sunday, and you didn't say anything? Did you see them even going into sin and not say anything, but just let them go on and get worse and worse? How can you do that and then say that you love them? That would be hypocrisy. Would you see your wife or your husband or your child going into disgrace and not say anything? No, you wouldn't. So then why do you pretend to love Christians and to love Jesus while you see your your Christian brothers and sisters going into shame and you don't say anything? We also then get into self-denial and worldly-mindedness. So some people are willing to do a lot for religion as long as they can do it out of their abundance. But anything that requires them to deny themselves, they think that's just too much. Maybe you think you're doing a great deal for God. That you're doing as much as God could reasonably ask of you. But will you willingly suffer reproach for the name of Jesus? Will you give up comfort or convenience to go talk to someone, to go give that homeless person that $10, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. Self-denial is a condition of discipleship, so we can't just gloss over this. This isn't some optional thing for a few special super-Christians. It's the duty of every Christian to exercise self-denial for the gospel and for for Jesus. This is what Jesus was getting at with the widow who put in two mites. So he said that she put in more than the rich people who had put in tens of thousands of times more than the two mites. Have you looked at your worldly possessions, your material possessions? Have you looked at them as if they actually belonged to you and as if you had the right to use them however you wanted? If you have, write that down, because that's a sin. Because everything that you have, if you're making a profession of faith or not, the fact is God created us, and everything that we have belongs to him. And so if we think that we can use what we have however we want to gratify gratify our own lusts or our own ambitions, then we're in sin. Envy. Are there cases in which you've been envious of those who were above you in any respect? Did you envy someone who was more talented than you? Were you jealous of someone who was more useful than you at work, in the church, in school? Have you found it more pleasant to think about all their faults than you have to think about their virtues? Do you prefer to think about how they failed than about how they succeeded? Be honest with yourself. Because this is a spirit of hell. And if you have harbored it, you need to repent deeply before God for him to forgive you. Have you even taken this one step further and had a bitter spirit? Have you spoken about Christians in a bitter and angry way, totally devoid of love and charity? Charity means that you allow, you give the person the benefit of the doubt. So you hope that the best case scenario is true with the information you have? Or have you just assumed any time that you saw something questionable that that meant the absolute worst condition and you've spoke badly about the person instead of going and talking to them and seeing if you could help them? 
Have you spoken behind people's backs of their faults, whether they're real or not, or members of the church without good reason? That's slander. So you don't need to lie to be guilty of slander, but if you're telling the truth with the intention of hurting the person, that is slander. Levity. How often have you been casual? Have you trifled before God? As you wouldn't have dared to trifle in the presence of someone on earth. Have you been casual before God in a way that you wouldn't have been casual before your teacher or before your boss? If you have, it's as if you've forgotten that there even was a God, or you haven't believed in him at all, or you've had less respect for him than you would have had for even an earthly judge. Lying. This includes what we call white lies. It includes very deliberate lies, but it also includes any intentional deception for a selfish reason. So, for example, if you give someone a certain look or somebody says something that isn't true but you let them go on believing it because it advances your interest, that's a type of deception, that's a type of lying. So you want to write down all the cases that you can remember when you've done this. So don't call them by a soft name because God calls them lies. And you want to charge yourself correctly the way that God charges you. There are so many falsehoods perpetuated every day in business, in social gatherings, by words, by looks, by actions that are designed to make an impression on others contrary to the truth for selfish reasons. Cheating. Write down every case that you can remember when you've dealt with a person and done something to them that you would not have wanted done to you. That's cheating. So if you've done something to somebody else that you would not have wanted them to do to you, that is cheating. Because God has said, All things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. The golden rule. So that's the rule. And if you haven't done that, you're cheating. So the rule isn't to do what you might reasonably expect them to do. Because that allows for pretty much any degree of wickedness. But the rule is as you would that they would do to you. Hypocrisy. We see this a lot in prayers and confessions to God. Have you prayed for things that you didn't really want? With the evidence that when you're done praying, you either don't remember what you prayed for, or you pray for something and then you live in a way that contradicts that prayer. So do you pray that God's kingdom would come on the earth as it is in heaven, but then you go out and in your actions, you spend all of your time and money on things of the world instead of on things for the kingdom? Another very common one with this is to confess your sins over and over, week after week, with no intention of breaking off from your sins. That's a type of hypocrisy. If you think that you're going to go and repeat the same sin just as much as you expect to live, then your prayer, your confession is hypocritical and dishonest before God. Robbing God. 
So write down instances where you have misspent your time, when you've wasted the hours that God gave you to serve him and to win souls, reading novels, going on Facebook, hanging out with your friends, going to parties, watching TV, going to football or baseball games, going window shopping. None of that is useful to God, and you owe him your time. Perhaps you've spent money on your own lusts, on things that you didn't need, that didn't contribute to your health, your comfort, or your usefulness. You might have spent your money on alcohol, on tobacco, on marijuana, on cocaine, on heroin. I hope that none of you listening are involved in these things, but if you are, please write them down, because you've used God's money on those things bad temper are you doing things behind closed doors to your family that you would not want your co-workers or your colleagues to know about are you yelling at your wife and children are you hitting them are you cursing at them are you threatening them are you forcing them to do things that they don't want to do are you withholding family money are you hindering others from being useful you may have weakened the usefulness of others by slander, by insinuations against them to others. So not only are you robbing God of your own talents, but you're tying somebody else's hands. If you're doing this, you're playing into the hands of Satan. Because you're not only loitering yourself, but you're hindering somebody else who is actually trying to serve God. So as you go through all this, if you find that you've committed a fault against somebody, go to that person. If they're close enough, if they live close enough to you, go to them and confess what you've done to them right away and get it out of the way. If the individual that you've hurt is too far for you to go see them, you can sit down and write a letter, you can call them, you can write an email, but you want to confess what you've done and make it right. And if you've defrauded anybody, by which I mean if you have stolen money, you also need to confess that and make that right. Alexandra, these things are are the fallow ground. Yes. These are the things that make the heart a place of thorns and thistles. And it's only through true heartbroken confession that we can begin to have our hearts softened and open for the word of God. Now, there are some other very heinous sins. Let me name them. Homosexuality, pornography, engaging in sex before marriage. Some of you are living with someone you are not married to, and you're saying, but we're not having sex. No, you're just living together, and the appearance is utterly evil. It is wrong. It is sin. Don't open the doors. Some of you today, right now, are cheating or considering having an affair with someone. This is an ugly, wicked thing. Examine your heart. What are you doing? Some of you are going to clubs, dancing, worldly grinding one against another. It's your entertainment. It's wrong. 
Some of you are sitting for hours in front of the television, and then you talk about what you see because you have fed yourself the poison of Sodom and Gomorrah. You have to examine your heart. Revival is not going to just happen to you. It's not something God is going to just sweep in and do to you. You have to prepare your heart. You have to go thoroughly to work in all of these areas. Don't put it off. It'll only make matters worse. Confess to God those sins that you've been committing against him and to man those sins that you've been committing against that man. Don't think of getting off by going around setting up stumbling blocks. Take them out of the way. You must remove every obstruction if you are going to enter into the heart of God and if you're going to be saved. Don't tell me you're saved while you're walking in your sin. Jesus provided a way through repentance by his blood to be washed and cleansed and made whole. Don't pretend that you're saved as you walk in wickedness. Now, when you've gone over all of these things, you may think they're just little things. But they're the things that cause you not to have any feelings for Jesus. And everything then is intellectual. A proud, carnal mind loves religion. It has to be broken. It has to be plowed up. The ground of your heart cannot receive the word of God. And, and I don't know how to say this, Alexandra, except to try to get it out. It's not going to be pretty. I see countless numbers of Christian men and women who believe their walk is just fine with Jesus as they go to their social church, as they engage in their social activities, but there is no passion for Jesus. There's no heart cry. And if that's your case, you know, you know that you don't have that passion. And I'm sure that you feel that there's something wrong. So that's why we ask you to go through this list that you've written down as you've listened to this broadcast. And don't just go over it one time. So you write your list and then you begin to actually confess those sins to God to make that restitution necessary. And then you go over it a second time. And you'll find that there's more things that you didn't think of the first time. Then you can go over it a third time. And you want to keep doing this until you find that you have feeling in your heart for the lost and for the cause of Jesus. As we call for this revival meeting on December the 4th at 7.30 at the All Saints Anglican Church, many of you need to come. You need to come because you need to honestly face the condition of your heart. I don't know how to even talk about this. I'm so desperately concerned for those of you who are just on automatic drive. You're on cruise control. And you think you're fine, but you have no passion for Jesus. So as you're going over 
this list of sins, you want to be sure that you are resolving that you won't go back to those sins anymore. So whenever you find something, you want to resolve in the strength of God that you won't go back to it anymore. So it won't be useful for you to go through the self-examination, but then just go back to everything. So a key part of this is that you're confessing the sins, you're making restitution, you're making it right, and you're resolving to now obey God in all things. So if you go through this and you find that your mind is still dark, you don't feel the spirit of God, it's because you've missed something. So you keep going back until you can get that feeling. And you don't want to expect that God is just going to somehow miraculously do this for you. This is something that God has said we're to do. He said that the conditions for entering the kingdom are to repent and to believe. So God can't repent for us. God can't repent for you. God can't repent for your sin. He can't break up your fallow ground for you. It's your responsibility to go through your sins to break up your fallow ground. And if you really start to look at your sins in this way and see how bad they are, you're going to have feelings about them. You're not going to be able to just look at it and remain cold. So I ask you that you will set yourself to this work and that you will resolve that you won't stop until you find that you can actually pray. You won't have the spirit of prayer until you examine yourself, confess your sins, and break up the fallow ground. That's because the Spirit of God can't live in you until you have confessed and repented and honestly spread out your sins before God. So let this be that deep work of repentance that we've been talking about on the air. We've been talking about that once for all repentance. This is what that actually looks like. A full confession where you're actually breaking down before God and as a result God comes and fills you with the spirit of prayer. If you don't know anything about the spirit of prayer, it's because you've never done this work of repentance. You know, I'm shy of saying it, but so much of my preaching on this broadcast has been wasted. No, it's been worse than wasted. It's hardened your heart. It's made you even more casual because you wouldn't break up the fallow ground. You know, I can wear out my life and do very little good as long as the hearts are stony, hard, as long as the hearts of the hearers are not willing to let the ground be broken up in their hearts. They're only half converted. For many of you, your religion is a change of opinion rather than a change of the feelings of your heart. It's a mechanical religion, but not a deep heart work. We expect a revival. We're asking God to bring a revival to Washington. We're not just going to make a noise and talk about it. We want to get all of our fallow ground broken up. Is your fallow ground broken up today? Are you willing to do the work to get it broken up? Are you willing to get serious with God before you and God the two of you alone, are you willing to get before him and deal honestly with the real condition of your heart? 
When you see sinners on the road to hell and you talk to them and you begin to get a feel for who they are and what's going on in their life, if you are powerless to give them a testimony of wonderful joy and peace in Jesus, it's because you've never broken up your fallow ground. So we ask you today, will you enter into this work? Will you prepare the way for revival in Washington, D.C.? Will you do what is necessary that that work could go forward in this city? And will you choose to be a part of it? You must make up your mind. It has to be a thorough work of breaking up that fallow ground and dealing with your personal sin. Without it, this broadcast is only going to make your heart harder. It's going to make the ground like cement. And you will end up in worse shape than before you listen to the broadcast. Now, if you if you do not set about this work of revival, I believe you have forsaken Christ by refusing to repent and refusing to do your work. And that breaks my heart. Alexandra? So to review what we've talked about today so that you can do this work of repentance you can review everything we've shared on our webpage. So go to nationalprayerchapel.com and click on blog on the top of the page. And you want to read the post, How to Confess and Forsake Your Sins. That will link you to a complete examination of conscience so that you can do this work of repentance. And if you find after you do this, your heart is all broken up with feeling then the next step is to go and to talk to sinners, to talk to people who you see are on the way to hell. And then you'll get more feeling. The spirit of prayer will increase and God will be able to use you to save those people. Until you talk with sinners, the fallow ground has not been broken up. You may be very intellectual as a Christian, but it's a mechanical religion. It's a self-centered, selfish religion. It's not the religion of Jesus Christ. It's not the faith of Jesus Christ. Will you do this work? And again, we call you to go to the webpage, revivalnow.church, and register for the newsletter. And there you'll get all of the information as the revival meetings go forward. We're just building that page now. But go and look at it and register and let us know that you're going to walk with us in this revival. So go to revivalnow.church and sign up for the newsletter. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Now we're also forming a team for prayer, for praise and worship, ushers. If you'd like to participate, would you please email Alexandra at nationalprayerchapel.com That's Alexandra at nationalprayerchapel.com Now we're almost out of time. We're coming to the end of the month. We are a long ways from having the 
necessary resources to pay for this broadcast. We are faith broadcast. We trust Jesus to move in your heart that we could continue this work of revival in Washington. Please write to me. We go to the post office every day praying that your letter will be there. Write to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Put a circle around the date, December 4, All Saints Anglican, 7.30 p.m., Revival. Now, you're also welcome to come to the National Prayer Chapel on Sunday at 12 noon, our worship service. It will be a very joyful but serious time as we praise and worship and walk with Jesus. So we also meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. Drive around to the back of the parking lot, enter the ground level door, double glass doors, and our worship center is on the left-hand side. Now we're almost out of time. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we lift your name up today. You've given us the courage to speak in a very forthright way to your people. I pray, Lord, this work of breaking up the fallow ground will be accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I'm Alexandra. And thank you for joining us today. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.